Hey, good evening everyone. Welcome to our Sutta study session. We're not particularly, uh, what you could say, studying the suttas, but rather using the suttas as a means of discussing and, and investigating and, and understanding more deeply our meditation practice and the path that we have to follow so our, our next sutta for reference is number 82 Majjhima Nikaya 82 Ratapala Sutta it's quite a special sutta it's, it's one of the more famous ones famous I mean by Buddhist standards Probably most of my audience hasn't heard of it. Some of you, I'm sure, have. But it's special. It's special to me because it it was quite inspiring when I was thinking of becoming a monk. It's inspiring on on different levels. Ratapala was uh, was named by the Buddha as being his, his foremost disciple who went forth, uh, who became a monk out of faith. He had such conviction in becoming a monk. As you'll see from the story, the story is, we're not so interested in the story, but just for some background. It is an interesting story and it's quite inspiring. But um, so the Buddha was staying, he was wandering, not staying, he was wandering in the Kuru country. The land of the Kurus seems to have been a special sort of place where there were a lot of high minded individuals. Uh, and so he came to the, the, the Kuru town named Tulakotika, Tulakotita. Uh, and uh, as usual, the people heard about the Buddha and, and they said, oh, the, this recluse Gotama is, he's been wandering about teaching the Dhamma. And uh, everyone's saying good things about him. You know, he's, he's, that he's enlightened. They're saying that he's somehow special. And he understands the truth and he teaches the truth. Let's go listen to him. And so they all go out and find where the Buddha was staying in the forest or on a, on a hill or something wherever he was and they behave differently as usual there's a stock passage here which is quite uh, interesting uh, insightful insightful into the nature of human beings and into the sort of the nature of being a religious person is that they would come to see the Buddha and they would all act differently some of them would pay homage to the Buddha and sit down some would exchange greetings with him and after you know, saying hello and getting to know him they would go and sit down some would just hold up their hands in, in reverence and then sit down some would 
state their name, which was, I guess, a, a custom back then. Where you come in and you pronounce, I am so-and-so-and-so, and then you'd sit down. And some just came in and sat down silently without saying anything or doing anything. The skeptics, perhaps, coming to see who is this guy. Is this really worth my time? But it's really the way of it. We're not all the same, and we're not all. Uh, we don't all come to religion in the same way, or for the same reasons, or with the same sort of mindset. I've had. I remember particularly some business people in Chiang Mai came to practice. I were very devout Buddhists, and they still are very interested in uh, in doing good deeds. But one of them was and is not at all interested in meditation, so she fought with me the whole time. She said, oh, I'm, I'm really keen to, to do good deeds, and I really love to donate to the monasteries and so on. But meditation is just not my thing. No, and I had to fight with her. And for some people, it's... Her sisters, they were three sisters. Her sisters were and still are very devout meditators. Very accomplished in their meditation practice, I think. Well, reasonably. Very devoted to it. But there was one such person, and as you can guess, this person's name was Ratapala who came to see the Buddha talk and, and listen to the Buddha talk and was quite uh, inspired to say the least and he thought to himself this is the Dhamma, this is the truth Dhamma meaning the, the right this, he's right, what he's saying is true and right and as I understand, as I understand this I realize I can't, I can't really practice this living in the house. If I live as a householder, I'm going to be distracted by so many things and uh, bothered by so many things and, and diverted, have my time taken up by so many different things that will keep me from practicing and following and, and realizing these things that he's making clear to us. I thought, I, I think I should... I think I should become a monk, basically. And so he went to the he walks up to the Buddha and he says his homage to him and says, "So uh, I listened and and it seems to me that I'm not going to be able to practice this." He basically repeated what he had thought to himself that he's not going to be able to practice this as a householder. He really should better become a monk. And and the Buddha asks if he has permission from his parents. And it turns out that Ratapala doesn't have permission from his parents, and so he goes back home to get permission from his parents. And permission from our parents, this is a convention that the Buddha was asked to establish by his father. His father asked him, because he's, he felt the pain of loss of a son and a grandson, because he lost both his son and his grandson. He felt, anyway. And uh, so he wanted there to be some harmony. 
Or people wonder about this rule because you think, well, what if my parents, why should I listen to my parents if they're not, uh, if they're not willing to let me do the right thing? Some parents are very against doing the right thing. You know, it's very hard to embrace change and to lose you really lose a person like my family really lost a person when I became a monk I think they've even said at times it's like I died it was that awful for them it's true because that person of course never existed but in their minds there was this concept and every time they saw me it was re re reified or it was it was reaffirmed uh, because of the, because I acted in the same way the way of that person and that person is gone now dead and so that, that sort of thing is is just the idea of it is scary it's, my parents react sometimes quite violently because they have they have ideas and, and often ambitions for their children they want their children to get a job to go to school to get a job to, to, to take on the family business back in the, those days, right? To manage the family estate. And so it turns out his parents were not going to let him ordain. His parents basically said, you have no idea what you're getting into. You're, you've lived a comfortable life. There's no way that you could possibly live as a monk. And we would... Uh, in, the, in case of your death, we would lose you unwillingly. If he died, they wouldn't say, "Okay, go ahead and die." So why would they? How could they let him? How could they let him go when he's not dying? They would. They would be totally distraught and and deny the fact that he was dead if he died. They would rage against his death. So how could they possibly not rage against his wanting to? die to kill kill the householder kill this person the personality of being Ratapala the householder and you know it's not all doom and gloom because of course they're they're giving birth to a new person this is Ratapala the monk but of course they can't see that and they're very much attached to Ratapala the householder Ratapala the son and so on But he asked them permission two times, three times, and they don't give it. And Ratapala, again, remember, he's through this, this, he has this great conviction. He's so sure, this conviction in, in, in the Buddha's teaching, and he's so certain that what does he do? He lies down on the floor right there after they refuse to give his permission. He lies down on the floor and says, I'm not getting up. I'm not going to get up, I'm not going to eat, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to do anything until you give me permission. Right here I shall either die or receive the going forth, receive ordination, or, or receive the allowance to go to become a monk. I'm not going to ordain him right there on the floor, but he's, he's going to either die on the floor or he's going to get permission to become a monk. I mean, this is an example. People ask this question of why you need your parents' permission, and I mean, I think a good, as good an answer as any is, if you can't face your parents, 
then how could you possibly face your own mind and your own suffering? Right? You think your parents are scary. When Ratapala saw this, he said, my parents are nothing. This will be a this will be a cakewalk compared to what I've got to do once I become a monk. So he didn't shy away, he lay down to die. <clears throat> And so they got, uh, they, they argued with him and, and coaxed and cajoled him. And, you know. and so the, the, the par his parents went to his friends. They went to Ratapala's friends and, and com companions and tried to get them to convince him, look, you talk some sense into him. And no. Same thing. He refused to budge. And so they went to the parents. They, they, this, well, this one on dragged on for some time, and he, he really didn't get up. He didn't move. He didn't eat. He didn't drink. Nothing. And uh, so the, his friends went to the parents and said, "Look, if you if you if you don't give him permission, he's going to die, and then he'll lose him for sure. But if you do let him uh, become a monk, then you'll see him." You know, he'll, he won't be dead. You will be able to see him as a monk. So, so th that alternative seems to be preferable. And so they gave permission. Finally, they gave permission, and in no long time he became a monk, and in no long time he became enlightened. Having become enlightened, he went back home. And there's a story. I encourage you to read this. The story itself is. I'm going to, of course, summarize it here. Don't want to take too much time. And his parents um, tried everything. First, they didn't recognize him, uh, and they got they were angry because they saw, oh, here's one of those monks who stole our son. So they refused to give food. And then uh, he was recognized and brought in. And then his, they they tried to get his wives to. He had several wives apparently and tried to get them to convince him to disrobe but he you know he was he was completely he was enlightened at this point completely free from any attachment and so they showed him all this wealth and they said look all this wealth is yours and he said you know if you want my advice take that that gold and and throw it in the river he literally he actually said that because he said because if you throw it in the river you're never going to have to worry about it, basically. He said, throwing it in the river is not going to cause you worry and vexation. After it's gone, you won't have to think about it or worry about it. But if you keep that gold, you're always going to be worrying and obsessing about it. And that's how he looked. That's how an arahant looks at wealth. And then he calls his wife's sisters and they all faint. And then, and then he gets fed up. So the parents you know, try all these tricks and bring the wives out, and he calls them sisters, and they faint. And he says, "Look, if there's food, give me food. Don't. If there's a meal to be given, then give it. Do not harass us." And then they okay, give him food. And then he 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 recites these stanzas, which are I think quite uh, inspiring themselves. I'm not going to read them, but recommend reading them. Jimnikaya 82, if you're interested. And then he went to see a king. He went to he went to stay in in the, the king Korobia, Korobia. The the uh, deer deer park or the deer garden. 
of King Korabia. And he sat down in the, the, deer, the king's, I guess it's like crown land, we would call it here in Canada. And I guess the king would allow the monks, or maybe allow anyone, to just walk through and, and sit. Maybe you think of it like today as a public park. Maybe that's the sort of idea. Or a national park for everyone to enjoy, but no one can build there or own it. So he sat down, this was a popular sort of um, environment for the monks to go and meditate. And so he found a place and he sat at the root of a tree for the day's abiding. And the gamekeeper, the, the guy who looks after the park, saw him there and went to the king and said, oh, you know, uh, this uh, this monk Ratapala, who you've actually always the king has apparently spoke quite highly about him. He, he, I guess he had quite a reputation for for his uh, his story. I mean, it was quite a powerful, moving, inspiring story. And so the king had always said good things about him. He said, right, maybe you want to go and talk to him. And indeed, the king goes and talks to him. And the king asks this question, and that's sort of the heart of this sutta, even though it's halfway done already. But the, uh, the the real heart here is, the king asks, he says, look, there are, and it's a question I think that's useful for us. It's a question about why people take on religion. But it's specifically why someone would become a monk, but but it's not, it's not limited to the strictly specific idea of becoming a monk question of why people become religious in the first place. He says, there are four kinds of loss. It's because of these loss that one becomes a monk. You could say generally one becomes religious. It's through aging, through sickness, through wealth, and through loss of relatives. So someone gets very old, he says, and when they get old, they, they can't do anything. They become invalid. And they realize that, this, that there's, their, their life is no can no longer be about the things it was about. It's quite a disturbance. And the limitations of their body you know, inspire them mentally. I mean, it's actually, I would say, a positive thing because it forces you to think outside this this conventional realm of of active of physical activity, whereby the body is our tool for obtaining our, our goals, attaining our goals. And so one says, "I'm going to do something about. I'm going to find a way to live, or find a higher purpose and truth. Become a monk or become religious. It's a common thing in all religions, of course. Old people you find flock to religion because." It, 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 it hints at something outside of the physical realm. When you start to realize the physical realm is not all, it's, it's not the be-all, end-all of reality. And he says, but, but you're young. You, know, you, you, you were by no means old or, or even had any hint of, of old age. So why have you become a monk and he says for sickness you know people get sick very sick maybe they have cancer or something gravely ill 
maybe they're dying, right? And they get so sick that they think so there's only one thing left for me is religion, something higher. We would say more mental development. I mean, hinting at spirituality, I guess, but more men mental development. In Buddhism, we wouldn't want to use mystical terms, even like religion or spirituality. They have such connotations. I like religion because it implies taking something seriously. The, the word itself implies religiosity, which means a sense of sincerity and a dedication. But uh, they have so much mystical connotations that are, you know, not at all um, the, the the thrust of Buddhism or the focus of Buddhism. But people take this on because they're sick. You know, when you're sick, you you realize what we call sabhava dukkha, suffering that you can't. That is a part of life that you can't escape. You can't run away from. So that you try to find a way to cope, to to overcome it mentally. But you aren't sick. You weren't. You haven't gotten sick like that. You just uh, up out of the blue, healthy healthy as a whatever is really healthy and uh, just became a monk what, what happened number three wealth you know, loss of wealth you were very wealthy but some people when they lose all their wealth they think there's nothing left for me to do I can't uh, I can't live comfortably so I should learn to live without so they live in poverty as as a monk might be a better way because too much stress involved with having to make ends meet and having to buy a house and so on. I'll just go and live un under a tree somewhere, basically. Uh, but you didn't lose your wealth and loss of relatives. Yes, when some people become religious, when they lose their husband or their wife, or in Thailand, it was a thing, I think, when the husband died, the wife would become religious. Of course, I think partially it was because of the freedom from the burden of having a husband. I think in many cases it was it was actually quite a burden to have to be a housewife. Um, when you lose a child, when you lose your parents, it can be something moving. And, and this is well, we, we talk about this it's well documented and well known that people become religious out of loss. He says, but what about you? What happened to you? You didn't lose anything. You had everything. You're living the good life. What did you see? What did you hear? What did you know or see or hear? What has he known or seen or heard that he has gone forth from the home life into homelessness? They use the third person. It's a formal sort of speech here and uh, Ratapala says okay well that, there's those four types of loss and, and agreed you know, well, he doesn't say that but okay there are the four types of loss he says there are four, four and then he uses this word dhammudesa and I have to pick a, a bone with uh, the translation here because I don't think it means what they say it means Damudesa, uh, if I'm not, I may be very wrong, but it it seems to me it means Udesa is when you you point something out, 
and in this case it means you point something out as a reason right so udesa means to to point out or to point to or something when you point something out to someone or or i think when you dedicate when you when you specify you know, this is because of this so it's a reason if i'm not mistaken it's a reason for becoming religious it's, i mean which fits very nicely it's not a this isn't a deep term that we have to translate but it is an important word because these are important things so they're not summaries of the dhamma as, as the text says they are uh, righteous reasons so dhamma dhammudesa they're they're um, appealing to the dhamma or uh, yeah appealing to the dhamma appeals to the dhamma or or reasons good reasons and we were talking about last night reasons for liking and disliking and i said there really is no good reason to like or dislike anything that's why we were there was this question and i said well yeah i mean it's it's a good question as to why we like or dislike because there, there isn't a good answer the only good answer is that we're we're messed up you know we've, been, we've tricked ourselves and tricked each other and we've been connived into into being in, into cultivating partialities. But these are good reasons. So there are good reasons for doing something. When you when you have good reason, then you you decide to take up spirituality or, or you decide to say mental development because Anyone with good reason can see that that's what is actually beneficial. So he says there are four, these four reasons. Four Dhammudesa. And these are good to memorize. These are the four that we can you know, recite to ourselves, remind ourselves about. They give us inspiration. They give us conviction. They give us this um, ins inspiration, I guess. And so the first one is that let's read the Pali because he's he's gone to the trouble of put them in the notes. Upaniyati loko aduo. The world is unstable, uncertain. Upaniyati loko. The world is swept away. Aduo. It is un unstable. This is the first Dhammudesa taught by the Blessed One, taught by the Buddha. And knowing and seeing and hearing thus, I became a monk. I went forth from the home life into homelessness. That's how they say it. Number two, I'll just list them first. Number two, Atano, Atano Loko Anabisaro. There is no shelter. The world has no shelter, no protector. Number three, asako loko sabang pahaya gamaniyam. The world is not an owner of anything, asako. 
has nothing of its own and has to go having thrown everything having abandoned everything it, it carries on having abandoned everything number four uno loco atito tanha daso the world is incomplete un unsatisfied insatiate as he says a slave of of craving this is the fourth Dhammudesa taught by the blessed one having known and seen and heard thus I became I went forth from home the home life into homelessness and so the king asked well what do these mean so loco here just means it's just talking about people the world and we say it in English it's not that mysterious the world is Un, is unstable, is swept away means people in the world it's called the Sattavaloka Sattaloka, the, the world of, of beings beings in the world or beings, the world of beings are all swept away uncertain, unstable and so he asks the king, he says, you know when you were young, when you were 20, 25 years old, you could you were a swordsman, an archer, you could ride horses and so on. You were you were strong in battle. He says, Is that true? I say, Yeah, that's true. I was I was unequal. I say, what about now? Are you strong today? I said, Oh no, now I'm old and, and I'm eighty years old. Sometimes I mean to put my foot here and I put my foot somewhere else. I'm not so sure footed anymore. I say, ah, yes, you see. So this is the uncertainty, the unst instability, the change. You know, this is a. Dis I mean, getting old is is a very good example of this. You you become disturbed and realize that your your mental faculties, your physical faculties, are not as they once were. And things are changing, but it comes in all shapes and forms, right? This is where loss comes in. You don't have to lose something yourself to realize that you are capable, you are susceptible to change, that uncertainty is a part of your life, that these things that you depend upon for your happiness are uncertain, unstable, unstable. And so it's a great reason. I mean, a big part of religion is to find something that's stable, and in Buddhism, this means finding stability in 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 non-attachment. Basically, I mean, in freedom from these things. So, if if everything that you cling to creates this stress and this vexation of of fear of change and loss and so on. Then true happiness and 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 uh, strength and and certainty has to come from not clinging to anything. It comes from freedom. It doesn't come from attainment of this or that. It comes from attainment of freedom, of letting go, of no no longer clinging to anything, being stable because it doesn't depend on anything. Right? Non-dependency. That's a very important Buddhist concept.
number one. Number two, no shelter and no protector. Yeah, the realization that we are not protected. And the king says, but I've got elephants and, and I've got soldiers and I've got lots of protectors. And he says, what about when you're sick? You ever been sick? And he says, oh yeah, I'm actually right now I have a sickness, I have an illness. And so can you say to your family, hey, come and protect me from this. Take it, take it away from me. Share it with me. I don't have to share this burden They can't even share it with you Let alone take it away It means no one can protect you From from stress and suffering You can live in a mansion In a palace as a king And still be subject To great suffering No shelter and no protector There's nowhere you can run There's nothing you can No life you can set yourself up in that could possibly protect you that's a reason to become religious because you realize that I depend upon a lot you know my my craving my greed my desire you realize you're setting you're, you're susceptible you're um, vulnerable to many kinds of suffering simply because of your attachment simply because of your um, your dependency this will protect me this this keeps me safe keeps me just this house you know if this house burned down we'd all have to go stand outside in the cold you know that might happen we might go out and, and freeze to death that might very well happen it's not likely but we may very well somehow some way have to go and stand out in the street until we froze to death that happens to people in the world, right? Not often, but it does happen. You think that that's not likely to happen? Oh, why, why would you think such a thing? It happens in the world. Worse things happen. We might suddenly be pulled out of our beds and raped and tortured and burnt alive and, and all sorts of terrible, violent things might happen to us. This happens in the world. And so, I mean, it's an important question. If, if that's true, then how do you possibly find true peace? Because we're all vulnerable to such, to many such violences and, and sufferings. I mean, it's really where Buddhism begins with its, uh, its, its way of looking at the world, way of looking at spirituality not trying to find a protector some you know this is what mo many religions do find god will protect you these promises empty promises that have to eventually be twisted around well you know god protects you but in his own way which is really not at all because the same bad things happen to you except now you get a reason for them because it's some part of god's plan it's kind of absurd really God doesn't protect you. He ends up just being a reason bad things happen. It's okay because it's part of God's plan. So it makes you feel better. It doesn't help anything. I, mean, I guess it does in that sense. You know, and that's kind of how Buddhism looks at it as well. But Buddhism points out that what's happening there is not God. It has nothing to do with God. It's your own frame of reference. You become less um, concerned about the way things go because you've consigned it all to God. You know, it's, it's highly inferior to actually 
becoming free from your 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 vulnerabilities to the point where you are no longer perturbed, disturbed by the changes. Putasaloka dhammehi jitangyasana kampati. The mind of one who is not moved by the vicissitudes of life. That's the true protector. That's the kema. That's the safety, the security. That's number two. Number three, the world has nothing of its own. You say, well, I have all this wealth as a king. And Ratapala says, what about when you die? Do you get to take any of it with you? It's, I mean, it's, it's really, it's, it's an ultimate example, but I think if you look even closer, the whole idea of ownership in the first place is, is meaningless in an ultimate sense, right? Let's look at something here. What's uh, those glasses sitting on the floor there? Now, we all know whose glasses those are. We know who they belong to. But that, that's the only thing, our knowledge is the only thing that makes them have an owner, that gives them some kind of ownership. That and the sequence of events that cause those glasses to be in their current situation. So based on those facts, historical facts, we say, this belongs to this person. The reality is totally different, and it's it's not just an, a useless uh, pointing out the obvious. It's quite important because reality is 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 totally oblivious. If you think of reality as as having some kind of sentience or some kind of drive, if if it did, it would be, it would be totally oblivious, or it appears to be totally oblivious to any concern we might have. Reality doesn't care who something belongs to. It doesn't say. Oh well, this belongs to this person. I better not take it away from them. Reality doesn't do that. Reality doesn't care. This is our house. It's not our house, but it doesn't care that this is your beloved belonging. It's going to break it. Reality is going to take things away from you. It's going to break them. It's going to give them to other people when they steal them or when they um, when they confiscate them. Ownership is a very dangerous thing because when you become possessive, first of all, you have the stress of fear of losing your your possessions, but you also have the stress when they do break or decay or change. When your son becomes a monk or your daughter becomes a monk, and suddenly their their behavior and their attitude towards life has changed. That's quite distressing because of your possessiveness. You are conceiving of things, so we realize that you know all these things that that keep me tied to the household life are meaningless. You know, I have to worry about this, worry about that. Why do I have to worry about it again? Why do I have to latch on to these things and keep them close and keep them safe? No point, no purpose. And the fourth one is the world is the world is incomplete, insatiate, the slave of craving. 
incomplete means um, un, in the, the spiritual sense of feeling incomplete feeling like wanting insatiate means we strive and we will never have enough and he gives this example to the king of if the king heard that there was a, a, a kingdom to the east or to the west or to the north or to the south and heard that this kingdom was ripe for the taking he would go and conquer it and it, he wouldn't stop until as long as there was another kingdom to conquer he would never stop until he died or until he failed the king appreciates that but we can all appreciate this never-ending search that no matter how much you get what you want you'll never be satisfied it can never lead to satisfaction it's not capable it's not the it's not a function of desire to satisfy you it's a function of desire to make you to 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 proliferate just as it's a function of fire to pro proliferate if you feed if you fuel your fire if you fuel a fire it doesn't become it doesn't say okay i'm full now enough fire is not something that suddenly says okay thank you that's good i'm i'm full now that's why the buddha said craving is there's no fire like craving it's just like a fire because you feed it and it becomes bigger it becomes more powerful it doesn't get satisfied so we become slaves to this craving because uh, this path of craving leads only to more craving and that's number four so those are the four Dhammudesa and then he gives a long the king the king uh, expresses his appreciation and, and his marvel at how marvelous the words of Ratapala are and the teachings of the Buddha are and then Ratapala teaches some more verses which again are quite inspiring I think so definitely worth the read but I'm not going to read them so those four that's the reasons for being religious and I think that's it useful topic for us I mean this maybe not technically useful but inspiring first of all the story of Ratapala and second of all these four reasons it's a reminder of why are we doing this oh yes right because there's reason there's reason to be doing what we're doing so I appreciate all the work and effort you have all put into your practice here at the center and those of you following at home wish for you all to find success in your practice as well that's the Dhamma for tonight thank you all for tuning in have a good night